Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Morning, Charged Up Studio listeners. I'm so glad to have you here with me once again. This is Dana Olivo, your host and CEO of Market Academy LLC. And today's guest brings an exciting alternative to financially growing your small business. He's the author of the book, The Fair Share Model, where he presents an idea for a performance-based capital structure for venture stage initial public offering. As small business owners, let's face it, we're always facing an uphill battle for securing the dollars needed to grow our businesses, right? Constantly facing the chicken and the egg syndrome between experience and funding and the funding needed to grow and gain that experience. It's time to truly look for creative ways for procuring the financial portfolio needed to grow. Uh, Since the beginning of COVID, we've had an 83% increase in new business license applications. There is no time better than where we're at right now to be introducing new creative means for financing these small businesses before they end up losing their life savings. So let's welcome to the show, Carl and Carl, you're going to have to say your last name for me because I cannot say it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's I pronounce it Shurgren, like S-H-U-R-G-R-N, because there's an umlaut in in uh, over the O in Swedish. I've got a Finnish father. It's uh, uh, it gives it an er sound. So just imagine it's Shurgren. 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 Okay. You sure got a grin there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So welcome, Carl. I'm so glad that you're here. This is, um, this is something I was specifically looking to introduce this month on charged up studio is the financial side of supporting our growing businesses. And you bring one of those alternatives that I think we are really eager to learn about. So before we get going, let's begin by explaining what qualifications you bring to the table that helped you write this book. Well, um, the backstory, I, I, I think I'm probably the co-grandfather of equity crowdfunding on the internet. Um, I co-founded a company in 96 um, called Fairshare. And the idea was to make it easier for companies that had direct public offerings to find investors. Direct public offerings are uh, offerings, pu- public offerings, anyone can invest, but it's the shares are being sold directly by the company, not through a broker, broker dealer. 
So it's, it's a little bit like trying to sell your own house without a real estate broker. Yeah. Um, that can be a challenge because a homeowner's not going to know the prospective buyers. And frankly, potential buyers are not necessarily interested in t- directly dialoguing with, with the seller. You know, there's a role for a intermediary. But there has been for many decades, the ability of a company to sell its offering directly to the public. And um, so we saw an opportunity to make it easier for companies to do that by creating an online membership of people who had potential interest in investing in early stage companies. And we said, is to build this community, we, we, we uh, offered education about deal structures, valuation, provided the ability for our members to talk to one another, and, and said, once we got to a critical mass, we had enough uh, members who potentially could take down a, an offering, we would tell companies that if it had a legal offering, if it passed the due diligence review, if it used our deal structure, the fair share model, and allowed our members to invest as little as $100, we'd give them free access to pitch the deal. Uh, we wouldn't take anybody's stock or, or, or money. Uh, was, the strategy was to organize the buyers to get a better deal. Hmm. So, so that's where I, I learned to write about capital structures and valuation. Right. right. So um, let me... Um... <laughs> jump in here. I, I know just enough to be dangerous when it comes to you know, capital financing, venture venture capital, you know, all of this. Um, I, you know, my understanding is if you go about trying to sell shares of stock in your company or, or get, you're taking on a huge liability without having um, uh, the backing, the legal backing or whatever on that. Because if you make a promise, you know, uh, you're, you could easily be leaving yourself in for some liability issues. Well, let's see. Um, According to FEC, what is it? SEC yes. guidelines and yes. stuff like so, that. So uh, let me say this. Um, regulators, securities regulators at the federal level and the state level, have long realized that capital formation is an important part of um, creating vitality in, in the, the uh, markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are people who want to do it. Um, they're not trying to create roadblocks for that. What they're trying to do is make sure there's enough dis- that investors know what, what uh, uh, they're getting into. So, so regulators are actually taking steps and have t- taken steps for decades to promote small capital, small company uh, capital formation. Um, going public be, or, or selling, the ba- there's a basic divide here. Um, regulators will say, if you're selling your stock to wealthy investors, they're smart enough, they're wealthy enough to um, watch it, look out for themselves. Mm-hmm. There is sort of a presumption if you're rich enough to be um, wealthy, you're smart about right. your money. 
-hmm. That's not necessarily true. Um, mm -hmm. And in terms of people who are not wealthy, uh, the, the aim of securities law is to make sure that the issuer, the company who's selling the stock, is providing all the information that an investor would reasonably want. Right. right. So qualifying an offering to sell mm -hmm. to anybody right. is in essence a exercise in disclosure. Right. And that's type of disclosure, sort of like preparing your house to be sold, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to be inspected. Um, is something that people are not necessarily accustomed to most of the most entrepreneurs are going to think it's a uh, what's the term uh, uh, as is <laughs> right um, right but but that's essentially what it is and whether the the liability that one takes on in doing it if, if you make false or misleading or um, inadequate disclosures mm -hmm. it's possible that um, the corporate veil, the, you know, normally it's, it's different if you're I mean, let's, a, a let's partnership see. or a, a single proprietorship yeah. Yeah. And, and you're selling stock, you're, you're, you've got personal liability. But if you're formed as a corporation, you do have limited liability. Your, your, your exposure is to your business itself, but not to your personal assets. But if, if you can be shown to be mis providing false or misleading disclosure. It's possible that somebody could, you know, sue you, sue you. So and, you and, and say, you know, there's a corporate veil there. They're going to pierce yeah. it if it is, is a phrase. Right, right. I mean, you know, um, yeah, you know, there, there, you are taking a lot of risk as an investor and as a business owner when you do this on your own, yeah. okay? Yeah. Um, as far as uh, complete disclosure and everything. Now, um, I think primarily part of the reason, like you said, you know, those who are used to investing, you know, those kind of things, they are um, um, more, more astute, more, you know, familiar with what to be looking for, okay? But when you talk about uh, family members and friends and things like that, that's where you can run into some issues as far as capital raising. Um, and, and now they have, um, it's, it's not new anymore, but they have the, what is it, 506C, which is the crowdfunding law, mm -hmm. okay, the new yeah, crowdfunding, yeah. which allows you to bring in as many investors as you want, and they don't have to be accredited, right? Right, right. And right. when we talk about accredited, you know, the SEC has guidelines as far as accredited investors, right? Yep. You want to explain yep. that a little bit to our, our listeners? Uh, basically, it's, it's asset. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of assets, like a million bucks, and, and have earnings of, of uh, like 200000 a year for the last two or three years. Um, but again, it's, it's the everyone knows that investing in an early stage company is... Uh, oftentimes the investor will not make money. They may lose yeah. money. Um, right. And so this is like the fertilizer of commerce. <laughs> and it, yeah. uh, it is needed, but um, it is risky. So 
again, there's no way to provide, no one's looking to walk on water here, but, but basically government policy is if you are not wealthy enough to absorb a lot, loss of your investment, um, there's a role for government to ensure that uh, or encourage that the entrepreneurs to uh, reopen Kimono. Right, right. Now, now you, there's, there's, you know, I mentioned in my book, uh, the fair share model that um, about this standard for whether a company can go public. And, and I relate a, uh, an exchange I had with a former uh, examiner or an attorney at, at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And his uh, the question was, does, does a company have to be profitable? Does it have to be a certain level of achievement, if you will, in order to go public? And he said, you can sell stock in a dead horse. <laughs> as long as you say it's a dead horse. Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So um, I want to move on to the fair share model book and your your philosophy here, your your approach to it, because this opens up a whole new means for small businesses to be able to get the help and the um, the funding that they need. You know, uh, although it may not be in cash per se. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the fair share mile, model. Okay. Um, can you explain briefly what it is? Sure. Um, it's, it's an idea for how to structure a public offering to raise venture capital. It doesn't matter if it's a million dollars or a hundred million dollars. It's still the same. So the structure is two classes of stock. Both vote. They share voting power. Uh, one is tradable in the market. One is not. Investors get the tradable stock. So that's the IPO investors and the pre-IPO investors. The employees, which includes the founders, get it as well for value created as of the IPO. But for future performance, where most of the enterprise value is, the employees get a voting stock that cannot trade. It converts into the tradable stock based on milestones that the company defines and describes in its offering document. Those criteria and milestones can be whatever they want. It's going to be variation based on the industry a company's in, the stage of development, and frankly, the personality of, of, of the, the principles. But um, broadly, I suggest five categories in the book. One is a rise in the market value of a company. Another one would be uh, developmental goals that are meaningful. So that could be the release of products, for example, or um, getting through regulatory approval, FDA approval, for example, if, if it's a drug or something like that. Operational goals, of course, like sales and profits, but also the ultimate acquisition price of the company, uh, assuming there is one, because it's clear at that point how much value the employees created with their labor using the investor's capital. But intriguingly, it can also include measures of social good. So take, you know, since we've seen a rise in impact 
investing over the last decade or so. Um, and entrepreneurs, young ones in particular, who, who have some social good component. Um, and the, the social good is an allure because there's investors that want to support these types of things. Yes. But so, sometimes uh, there isn't really a clear economic value to it. So the question is, well, how do you reward that? How do you, how do you ensure that somebody's really focused on it? So, you know, let's just say that somebody was at an environmental technology company and it was in the business of uh, redirecting plastics from the waterways, okay? Not clear what the economic value of that is, but we all value it at a social level. So mm -hmm. maybe for every you know, million pounds of, of plastic pulled out, so much of this performance stock, the voting non-tradable stock would convert into the voting tradable stock. Um, could be lots of creative ways. Let's say if you're in a community uh, right. and, and you're trying to, to spawn entrepreneurship, um, you might say, hey, some of our performance stock is going to go to to our school system or something like that to, to encourage community support for whatever this entrepreneurial effort is. Interesting. You know, <laughs> while you're talking about this and I'm thinking back to, you know, um, uh, some of the companies that I have worked with over the past, you know, and I've done a lot with a lot of nonprofits as well, you know, and that social, that social aspect does draw, but you're, you're, you're correct in saying that, you know, understanding the value that it brings with it, not only to the investor or the donor per se, but also to the company, you know, um, but where I want want to go now is is I'm also thinking about Marketatomy, which is in, in my company, and the um, the overall vision for Marketatomy is to change the small business environment, make a make a a, a, a social change of an impact in the, the small micro business environment, you know, and ultimately help it grow which in turn will contribute to our GDP and our labor force and everything else, you know. So how would the fair share model appeal to, say, someone like me with this kind of a vision? Let's step back for a moment here and, and uh, give a framework for okay. everyone I, I, to understand the, the playing field here. Um, I, I say there's two fundamental risks for investors in the venture space. Right. Failure risk and valuation risk. Failure risk is sort of operational in nature. Mm -hmm. is, is a product going to get released? Will customers like it? Will the margins be there? Will the business model scale? These are, you might think in terms of, uh, it's analogous to, to me, say I'm going to jump as high as the top of my head. You know, the failure risk is a risk I'm going to be somewhere between the top of my head and the floor, okay? Valuation risk is the risk of overpaying for a position. And an investor can overpay for a position in a company that's doing very well on, on, on operational measures. 
Okay? I, I say that fraud is not a unique type of risk. It's, it's mm-hmm. merely a mixture of failure risk and valuation risk with a serving of false or misleading disclosure. Or oh. mis- misunderstanding or being, yeah. you know, not knowing what you don't know. Right. That's all part of the risk aspect. Yeah. So, so those are the two mi- principal risks, I think, for venture investors. Now, stand back and, and I'll say there's three types of equity structures out there. A conventional one, a modified conventional one, and a fair share model. Mm-hmm. Convention here, I, I, by that I mean it's conventional to, at the time of an equity investment, to have a value placed on future performance, right? The problem is, the inherent problem is that nobody can do that reliably well. It's mm-hmm. a bit like, being put in front of a classroom of sixth graders and, and you're asked to rank them based on uh, how successful you think they're going to be, however you want to define that or how happy they'll be in life. Well, you're going to have, you'll have clues, but you're going to be wrong a lot. Right. And that, 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 that's the problem. A conventional capital structure has a single class of stock. Everybody's treated the same. It's used in friends and family offerings. Um, and in IPOs. So if somebody owns 10% of the shares um, and the company is acquired, that shareholder gets 10% of the proceeds. It's very straightforward. It's, uh, if you think in terms of literature, it's like the three musketeers, all right. for one and one for all. Mm-hmm. The second type of capital structure, I call a modified conventional capital structure. It's used by professionals in the private capital market. So I'm talking about private equity and venture capital firms. It's conventional because they are putting a value on future performance, but it's modified with uh, deal terms, uh, deal terms that have the potential to expand the position of, of the investor. Now, in order to, to do the, provide these types of terms, a company has to have multiple classes of stock. Multiple classes allow the company to treat the shareholders differently. Right. Um, That's like founders. And, and so the result could be that yeah. if somebody who owns 10% of the shares um, yeah. and the company's acquired, they might end up with 20, 40, 60, 100% of the proceeds. The deal terms can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fair share model is unconventional because. It puts no value on future performance at all at the time of the equity investment. What you have instead is an agreement on how to define performance and how to reward it. You know, and, and your listeners who are familiar with blockchain will recognize that concept as a smart contract. So those are the, the three. So, okay, so if yeah. I'm understanding correctly on the fair share model, Okay, you've got an agreement in hand that based on your performance and the results that happen because of that performance, that's where it's negotiated as far as what the value is. It's, it's more of a statement, not so yeah. much. Now, you're raising a good point. Um, these conversion rules, 
are defined by the company. They're yeah. described in an offering document. And if investors invest, they're basically buying into mm -hmm. what it is. But they can be modified after the offering by agreement of the classes. So um, that's sort of the, the, the unexplored country, if you will, for the fair share model is how much variation will there be in how entrepreneurs define their performance um, and, and how to reward it. But in a way, you know, when, when a company is expressing its fair, uh, its pre-money valuation, the money that they say is worth um, before the investment, they're, they're making some assumptions about um, what the performance is going to be. So the trick here is to sort of, you know how you take a telescope and it will make right. a distant object look close? In a way, we're flipping the telescope and taking something nearby and, and projecting it out. Right. It, it, it's, it's a different form of perspective. But the big idea is to mimic, to take the principles of the venture capital model that has worked so well for venture capital firms over the last uh, several decades in a space that has a lot of failure risk and a yeah. lot of valuation risk and, and adapt that construction, that concept to the public market where anyone can invest. Mm -hmm. That's the big idea. Okay, okay. And, 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 you know, one thing I think some listeners might pick up on is um, fair, the word fair. Some may have an issue with it. The reason I use it is, mm -hmm. first off, it's an homage to Fair Share, the company that we started. That's what we called it, the Fair Share model. Um, there's two other angles to this fairness, though. One is trying to figure out the, the worth of an idea. Right. Um, what's, what's, what's the proper reward between capital and labor here? Um, and it takes, in, in, the reality is it takes time to figure it out. Yeah. But the other angle on, on fairness is, you know, the VC and private equity firms, they don't rely on getting the valuation rights as much as they rely on getting the right deal terms. Right, right. So that's the winning, winning approach. So, so why not let's get apply down it to the, the public market? Let's get down to the nuts and bolts of this, okay? On the fair share model, when we talk about um, performance-based value, okay? We're not, we're not talking about somebody comes in and works for free in exchange for capital. They're still, if they come in and their performance, in a performance role, they're still going to get their salary and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Although you may negotiate at they can, their they, Yeah, they can, they, they, they yeah. can do that anyways. But, but the idea is this, this is an exchange of at, at the corporate level between ownership, ownership and exchange for capital. The capital will be used to pay salaries, be used to pay rents and, and other, other expenses. Um, the bargain is in a way that the IPO investors aren't paying, they're getting a deal because they're not paying for upfront for future right. performance. Uh, what they're, they're gonna pay later on. They're, in fact, 
this there's one word that describes the difference between the fair share model and a conventional model. And that is timing. And the question is, when do new investors pay for future performance? Conventionally, they pay up front with that pre-money valuation. The fair share model, they pay when performance is delivered and they pay through dilution. Um, their, their percentage ownership drops. But if this performance that's being rewarded has economic value, the pie ought to be getting bigger. So the investors ought to be making money. Well, considering it's it's almost like now with what's going on with COVID, you know, and things like that, correct me if I'm wrong, this is an incentive for employees or for anybody who comes on to a company, right? It's an incentive right. that, that uh, makes them part of the growth process within the company. And right now, that's what corporations need. They're not, you know, they're not attracting the employees back. You well, there's, there's two things that the fair share model is designed to um, help a company do. Attract capital, IPO investors, and get uh, help it attract and motivate employees. I'll give you an example to, to kind of flesh this out. Um, let's say that I have a company and I've raised $2 million in private capital over the last two years or so. Things are starting to heat up and go great. I want to raise $20 million, okay? I have a basic option here. I can do it in the private market or I can do it in the public market. If I do it in the private market, I'm going to end up talking to a venture capitalist because 20 million is a lot of money. Um, if I am successful at getting an investment, um, I'll, be, I'll be very pleased about, uh, I'm going to end up with a modified conventional capital structure, the one with the deal term. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be happy about that, but it's going to be a little bit like going to sleep in a room with a python curled in the corner. You know, if if my performance falters or if something in the market the market value doesn't grow as much as anticipated, uh, those deal terms are going to squeeze myself and the other non VC shareholders. Um, no one uses that type of structure to go public; they they change it. Mm -hmm. at the time of the IPO to a conventional one. So if I want to raise my capital, my 20 million in the public market, my choice is to do it with a conventional capital structure, single class of stock, or the fair share model. Mm -hmm. Let's assume that there's a company out there that is considered to be worth $100 million. You'd expect me if I use a conventional capital structure to go out with a pre-money valuation of $100 million. I would raise my $20 million. At the close of the, of the IPO, I'd have a post-money valuation of $120 million, 100 pre-money plus the 20 that I raised. If I were to use the fair share model, I would probably go out with a pre-money valuation of $10 million, not 100. I'd still raise, yeah. I'd, I'd still yeah. raise twenty million dollars. So when my IPO closes, I'd have a post money valuation of thirty million, the ten plus the twenty. Why would I do that? Well, 
The reason is because one of my performance elements is a rise in the market value of the company. So I'm making a bet that the secondary market investors are going to say, huh, this is an undervalued asset. This company ought to be worth around $120 million, but it's down here at $30 million. And they start to bid the price up. As that happens, some of that performance stock that the employees hold converts into the tradable stock, from the non-tradable to the tradable stock, that diluting the position of the investors. But I say, they're not going to care because the value of their position is going up. Because you're basing it on future performance. Well, I'm I'm betting on the market and I'm making the bet that investors in the secondary market, those who who buy their stock from other shareholders as opposed to buying it from the company, Mm -hmm. that they are going to say, hey, this is, this company is actually worth more and and cause the price to go up. So there's a reward there for the entrepreneur to offer the investors who are writing a check to the company a right. deal. Right. Say, okay, if, if, if this turns out to be a deal uh, and, and the market uh, evidence is there because the price has gone up, that's going to be considered performance. Um, so... That's one thing that the fair share model can do. It adds an attractant, a pheromone, if you will, for IPO investors. It's a little bit like, imagine uh, buying a big screen TV on Black Friday. Mm-hmm. It's a deal, okay? Right. It, d- it doesn't cr- create the investors, the investor interest. The entrepreneur still has to do that, but right. it provides an additional incentive for the uh, investors to invest. Normally they invest because they, they are attracted to the industry the company's in or right. the technology it's using and the team. You right. still have that. Now you have the deal. You still have that, those, those qualities that you're going to be looking for. You want somebody who understands your business, understands what the business is all about. Yeah. But you made mention about the employees. The, the, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the second part. And I think it's more important um, because it's longer lasting. Right. So let's assume that. I've completed my fair share model IPO. I have $20 million and I want to hire you. And Dana, you have an, an offer from Apple. I'd say, I could offer you a salary and benefit. Eh, not as nice as Apple's. Both of us will offer you stock options on our tradable stock. Mine have more upside than Apple's. Right. But I can offer you something that Apple cannot. And that's an interest in my performance stock pool. And it only has value if we as a team are delivering these results that I've defined in in my offering document. So, you know, stock options, again, can be used in the fair share model and it's also used in a regular model. Um, they, They work best when employees believe the stock is going to go up. So the sweet spot is when a company's private because the employees think, hey, we're going to go public someday or we're going to get acquired. Mm -hmm. The problem is that once the company goes public, its valuation is really subject to secondary market investors. And many of them are not very sophisticated about valuation. And and, and there's there's an emotion part 
in, in oh, all yeah. of it. Very much so, yes. Yeah, even for private investors. Mm -hmm. um, but but it's more likely that the valuation will get ahead of actual performance. Mm -hmm. So the potential power of, of, of a stock option can be diminished once the company is public because there could be a new employee coming in and they're going to say, well, I, I appreciate the stock options, but goodness, it's going to take an act of God for the stock to stay where it is, let alone go up. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's three wrinkles to this that I think people will appreciate knowing. Um, one is pre-IPO investors can get some of that performance stock as well. Okay. Uh, second wrinkle, by the way, there's a lot of performance stock that's issued, enough to anticipate a decade's worth of performance. What doesn't mm -hmm. convert in 10 years, it's mm -hmm. canceled. Um, point is, there's a lot. So a company might take some of it and decide to reserve it for suppliers, make it, make it a non-voting class and tell suppliers, based on how much business we do with you and how happy we are with you, you'll earn an interest in this um, performance stock pool, mm -hmm. which gives them incentive beyond the terms of a contract or purchase order right. to really make sure the company succeeds. The third wrinkle, I think, is really interesting for companies that are consumer-based. Um, like if you wanted to build, build your business. Um, let's assume I could take, I could raise 20 million for my fair share model offering just from accredited wealthy investors. Mm -hmm. okay? I might say a retail sort of outlook. I might say to them, commit to 15 million. Give me a few weeks to sell the remaining five to investors who invest $100. If I end up selling $5 million of my stock in units of $100, I've added 50,000 new shareholders. Right. 50,000 people who are very likely to be making money because of the way the deal is structured. 50,000 people who are very likely because they're so excited about the company to be creating positive buzz in their social mm -hmm. circle. Mm -hmm. Normally a company will raise capital to finance a marketing campaign. Problem is marketing campaigns tend to have a half-life of 10 minutes. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, but here I'm, I'm creating a long lasting, durable, um, powerful marketing impact. And I'm not spending capital at all. Right. I'm achieving it by virtue of how I'm allocating my capital. Yeah. So, yeah. so for a, a, a company that um, even at an early stage has ambitions to, to um, and, and it's going up against a better financed company, mm -hmm. bigger company. Mm -hmm. the, Get the imagery here of the Spanish Armada versus uh, Sir Francis Drake and the English fleet. You know, mm -hmm. you could use the fair share model with great effect to not only raise the capital, but to encourage in employees to be laser focused on what the performance measures are yeah. with the, the promise that a well-performing team can end up owning more of the wealth they create with their labor 
uh, than a VC would allow. Right, right. But right. still rewarding the investors for in, in a handsome way. So no, in a way, it's just kicking the can down the road on valuation. And, yeah. and, and there's plenty of ways that um, this, is, this is normal course of business. Right. Convertible notes are often used to provide the capital, but push, you know, hold, but hold, still hold the equity in your company. Well, defer is a question on, on exactly. What, what, exactly. What, what the price should be. And then we have these instruments like safe and kiss instruments, which are sort of like a deposit on, on future yeah. equity. Yeah. But the, the, the reason they're popular is that it's so difficult to reliably assess the value of a early stage company early on. That's the problem. Yeah. No, this is, this is fascinating to me. You know, um, like I said, I know just enough to be dangerous, but you know, with the market that I deal with, these are questions that come up continuously and it's always the same things, you know, uh, equity financing, all this other stuff. Well, you know, as small business owners, we can't qualify for those things because we don't have the revenue history. We don't have the experience as far as the business is concerned. You know, we're under three years old, you know, those kind of things. I'm dealing with one right now and she is clearing $2.4 million a year right now. And she still can't get it because she's a year and a half old. You yeah, know, uh, it's... But, it's uh, now, it's the chicken and egg syndrome all over again. It yeah. is. My goodness. Um, yeah. The interesting thing is, it's easier to go public early in a company's existence than it is later. Because the going public aspect is a disclosure process. Yeah. And the longer yeah. your history, the more you have to disclose. Um, you and I could start a company today and, and within, you know, a two or three months have a document up there uh the question would be can we attract investors now the fair share model isn't going to do that yet the company still has to do it but again it gives that additional incentive for them to invest Um, because basically the entrepreneur will be saying to to investors i have an idea i need some money and the investors say, what do I get for the company? You'll have all the wealth, all yeah, the tradable, yeah. but we're going to share voting power. Mm-hmm. And, and, but if, if I perform well, my team performs well, we're going to uh, dilute your ownership um, position. But if our, our performance expands the, the, the uh, has economic value, should make the company more valuable and the value of your percentage should go up right right it's a fairer way to do things right it, and, and it, again it's it, just what the vc and sense. private equity funds do yeah and it makes sense it really does you know um we're coming up on the end of another show here and there's so much more that we could discuss you know as far as this is concerned um but uh, at least it, this gives our um readers or our listeners a little bit of an understanding that there are other means of financing your small business. Um, It's possible to innovate in this space. Exactly, exactly. So do me a favor and tell them how they can get a hold of your book and how they can get a hold of you. Uh, The book is called The Fair Share Model, 
And that's what it looks like for people who are viewing it. It's about a performance-based capital structure for venture stage initial public offerings. Uh, the former chairman of Silicon Valley Bank called it an important work. Um, it's on Amazon uh, as a print and ebook. It's, uh, you can get it uh, through Google Books and your bookstore too, but you'd have to request it. Um, Fisher model. Uh, com is my website. I'm on LinkedIn. Send me an invite. I'll connect. Um, and I'll close with just this idea. This is a complicated topic, but it's not difficult. We deal with complicated things in our lives every day, but because we've become familiar with them, they're not that difficult. Capital formation is like that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I say in the book, think of this as art. And I describe how I experience art in a museum. You know, I'll stand back over the side, getting close, read the placard. Point is that the more I see over time, I can start to see something else. And capital formation is like that too. But one other analogy I'll leave with, um, and it has to do with sex and sexuality. I say, think of where society was in the 1950s with regard to attitudes about sex and sexuality and where we are now. You say things are different. Mm -hmm. The physiology didn't change. It's how we think. Yeah. And where we are right now in terms of how we think about capital formation issues is the equivalent to where we were in the 1950s thinking about sex and sexuality. It's going to change with more information. And, and that's what the fair share model is, is offering. Well, and that's what Marketatomy is all about, is bringing that information to our listeners so they can make, you know, uh, fairly informed decisions about their business, you know. Um, but, uh, no, I really, huh? That's a great service. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate you joining us today, Carl. And that is Shergren. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's it, guys. I want to thank you all for joining us today and make sure to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are on today or go to the Charged Up Studio Facebook page or Google review page uh, to leave a review. If you want to learn more about different topics or skill sets associated with the growing successful businesses that you have, visit our online learning platform, marketatomy.academy. I look forward to talking with you once again next week for another exciting episode where small businesses get charged up for success. I thank you once again, Carl. Thanks, Dana. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.